We decided to take up this subject of friendship because it's one of the most urgent needs in our society. It, is, uh, it has never been easier to make friends. It has never been harder, it seems like, to keep them or to deepen those relationships. We make friends fast, but we don't make fast friends. Everything seems to be temporary these days. And, it, and because of that, there is a almost an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of, of alienation and even hostility where people don't feel they have anybody to listen to them. Anyone who understands them, accepts them as they are, cares about them. And uh, so I have found in, uh, in church ministry that one of the biggest hindrances to a congregation really coming together and, and glorifying God, ministering, reaching out, is a lack of friendship. That uh, we can gather together on a Sunday morning, but outside of church, outside of this meeting, are we really reaching out to each other and reaching out to, to others in friendship and deepening those relationships? So... As part of our uh, long-term study of God's wisdom and the wisdom literature in Proverbs and other books of the Bible, we've taken up this topic of friendship. And really, as uh, we've begun talking about this, we've seen that love is central to it. Um, for Proverbs, for Solomon, as he writes these Proverbs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Friendship is about what you love. Friendship is gathering people around you and, and, and forming relationships with them around shared loves. That shared love may be football, may be politics, may be a TV show, it may be church activities, it may be any of those kinds of superficial things. What we need are friendships around the shared love of the things of God and the shared love of His kingdom and His wisdom, His character, His greatness. These kinds of things, for Proverbs, become the heart and the foundation of wise, godly, and rewarding friendships. So we've been talking about uh, the perspective of Proverbs on this issue. We've also been talking about um, some of the the downsides of friendship being about what you love. Friendships in your life can actually reinforce your sins because we, we tend to build our sins into the structure of our lives, into our daily routines. We build our sins into our relationships as well. And so frequently, many of you are at the place where you're saying, I am just now starting to follow Jesus Christ, but I'm finding that it is changing and affecting all of my relationships. To some extent, I need to revolutionize my friendships so that I can actually have uh, comrades with me as I follow the Lord and learn what it is to love Him. I need people who share that love. Otherwise, I just get pulled back into my old loves, the old way I used to live. And so many of you here this morning are are revolutionizing your lives in this area of friendship and asking, what does it mean to have godly friendships? What does that look like? And so Proverbs 
is very radical about this. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that friendship takes you right to the central question of your life. What do you love? Whatever you really love, that's what you're going to gather people around you to follow, to participate in, to pursue in your life. And when the question gets that radical, we have a lot of thinking to do. We're going to begin some of that thinking this morning. We're going to talk about how do we build a friendship like this? How do we actually begin to put that friendship in place? How does that work according to Proverbs? Where do you even start building a godly wise friendship? So we're going to take up that question this morning from our text, Proverbs 22, verses 10 and 11. They read this way, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So we're going to look at this text and we're just going to ask the question, what does this text have to say about building godly friendships? How does it work according to this, this text? So uh, we're going to dive in this morning. We're first going to talk about what this text has to say about the materials we're using to build a friendship with. What are those materials? Then we're going to talk about how we use those materials to actually construct the friendship. And then we're going to see a very crucial thing about friendship in the Scriptures, and that is the gospel. And the fact that we have to experience the good news of Jesus Christ at work in our lives, and that really is the foundation for all friendships coming out of that. So that's kind of where we're headed in this part one of building friendships. What are the materials for building a godly friendship? It's really the same as materials for building an ungodly or unwise or superficial friendship. It's two things, character and habits. Normally, when we think about how do I get friends, how do I build good friendships, it always kind of starts right here with me. What do I have to offer? What am I bringing to the table uh, for a friendship? And I think as I listen to people talk about this and even look at some of the, the ways uh, people teach about friendship, it, it usually starts with, well, what do you aspire to be? What do you like? What are your favorite activities? And then you go find people who like those things and who share the same aspirations that you have and you bond with them around those things. Usually, that means we take a good long look at ourselves and we say, well, I guess I just need to be likable then. So I got I to gotta smile more. I got to have a better attitude toward people. I, I need to reach out. I need some new activities in my life. I need to make some friends around those. I need to be more cool. <laughs> yeah. for, for some of us, 
it's a, a, a more work than for some of you. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, um, these were dark days for me. The, the <laughs> this was a bad time because uh, because the 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 word cool was way over here, and the name Matt Rayleigh was way over there. And that's how that worked. You just didn't associate those two. They never appeared in the same sentence, let's say. Uh, now, nerd, <laughs> geek, any of those kinds of things, all of that, that fit very nicely. So, um, here was my problem. I figured, okay, so I'm that kid in the cartoon who's practicing the violin while everybody else is out playing football. So that's me. And so the number of people who share my interest in the violin and classical music is like vanishingly small. So we're not looking so good there. And then, then I, I like all these books and things, and I, I kind of like to study, and I like history, and, and so maybe I should go out and join the book-loving, history-loving club at school that doesn't exist. <laughs> and so I could, I could try that. That isn't looking so hot either. So now what? I had two choices. I could either say, I am not going to like the things I like anymore. And instead, I'm going to like the things that everybody else likes, and I'm going to get my friends that way. It's a very tempting thing to do, actually. Because a lot of times we feel like what we're being asked to do in order to have friends is check your personality, your interests, your loves, your passions at the door because we're not interested in all of that. We're only interested in you to the extent that you are into our stuff, like our activities, aspire to the same things, and are cool like us. So if you really look at that, and ask this question, is that a good proposition on which to begin a friendship? The answer is pretty obvious. No. Why? Because you're coming in saying, I am going to conform to you, and that's going to be the basis on which we will be friends. <coughs> so I looked at that for about uh, 10 seconds and said, no, I'm not going to do that. So that leaves either no friends or we're saying there's some other route to friendship. There's some other way to have friends and have relationships that actually goes deeper than just looking like everybody else, sounding like everybody else, and having the interests of everybody else. So, let me go from preaching to meddling here and say that churches thrive on conformity. 
Let's look at them. You go to a church, you're going to find all the same people in a church. They're all going to be basically at the same socioeconomic level or they're going to be people striving to be at that socioeconomic level. They're going to be of the same race. They're going to be of similar interests. They're all going to love this and they're all going to be flocking to that kind of activity. Churches thrive on this. It's very easy to build uh, what looks like a vibrant church life on conformity. And then we reach the point where we say, isn't there something more than this? Isn't there anything deeper than this? than just our all liking this or that, are all liking the same kind of music, everybody liking the same sports, everybody having the same desires in life. Isn't there something else where we connect with people who are not like us? Now, if we were to just look around this room right now, something very interesting has happened here. We're not all the same. We're not all the same race. We're not all the same socioeconomic level. We're not, you're not like me. And no one's really trying to be like me. I suppose I should be offended by that. <laughs> but I'm not. We actually had this discussion Monday night at the men's group. Um, uh, why do I continue to do the things that I do, dress how I dress, talk the way I talk, and express the interests that I have when nobody else is really going along with those things. Why do I do that? Because if I conform, it puts the wrong people in charge of the church. It puts the conformists in charge of the church. Because if I start conforming, then what happens? Everybody has to conform. I'm coming at this saying, I don't have to conform, and neither do you. We are following Christ. So we're aiming at Him, and that's going to look different. And it's going to be different in our different lives. So we're not going to squelch this... Um, diversity of what Jesus is doing in all of our lives from all of our different points of view with the suffocating shallowness of conformity. We're not going to do that. Yay. So this, it, then, then this question arises, how do we build friendships then if it's not based on conforming to what people look like, talk like, and are interested in. If it's not based on that, what is it based on? Proverbs, here in these two verses, shows us the materials that a godly friendship is based in. Let's start with verse 11. He who loves purity of heart. Remember, friendship goes back to what you love. Because what you love and the love you share with other people, that's the basis of forming relationships. You're going to gather people around that into your life. So this proverb here says, He who loves 
purity of heart. That is, he who has a certain character that is focused on purity. Now, I've got a water bottle here, and um, I opened this, I cracked the seal on this a few minutes ago, and it says here, purified water. So when I crack that seal, I'm trusting that this water is pure, whatever that means. At least it means, it also says it's 50%, oh, the bottle is recycled plastic, the water is... (laughs) See, that would raise a question about how pure this water is. So it, I'm, I'm going to open this up, and because I'm thirsty, I'm going to take a drink out of this, trusting that it is pure. And I'm trusting there that it is not mixed with anything that is foreign to water or anything that could hurt me. And I'm still alive. <laughs> so there's no cyanide in there. There's no arsenic. There's nothing that uh, would destroy me, compromise my health, or any of those kinds of things, theoretically. This says, whoever loves purity of heart will have the king as his friend. This is saying there's, there are people who love hearts that are not mixed with toxic stuff. And they love hearts that just give out pure graciousness. They love that kind of character. They're aspiring to that kind of character. So, who do they gather around them in life? People who value that as well. So, the first material that a friendship is built out of, the wood that you're building this house with, is character. And we're back to that question. What do you love? Um, the other material is habits. What is your life characterized by? What's your lifestyle characterized by? What do you spend your time doing? Um, what's your entertainment? What are you taking in to your mind? And, and then with that, what are you putting out with your habits? This says, verse 10 of chapter 22, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out. Question. Are you habitually in strife? You might think that's a strange question. But here's why I ask it. We would all be tempted to say, there are bad people in my life, and they create strife for me. And I wish they would change. But this question is different. Um, This question is, what are your actual habits in conversation, in conflict resolution, in all of the, the ways that you maintain your relationships with coworkers, bosses, uh, friends, family. Are your actual habits quarrelsome, striving, contentious? 
then this is saying here, drive out the scoffer and strife will go out. Change your habits, life will change. Change your patterns, your decision making, change all of that stuff. Your quality of life is going to change. In this case, quarreling and abuse will cease. So maybe this, this might involve a habit of handing your life over to an abuser where you're saying, I know that this person is going to do what all the other abusers have done in my past. I know it. I can see this coming. And I'm going to hand my life over to them anyway because I need somebody in my life. Maybe that's the habit. Whatever it may be, Proverbs is saying, if you want to build your relationships, at the core of the material you're going to use to build that is your character. Whatever you're aspiring to be from the inside out, that is going to be what builds your friendships. And then, if you're going to aspire to that purity of heart, then you're talking about changing the habits to match your heart and to match your aspirations so that you're actually doing what you say you're going to aspire to do. Now you say, hang on. This just got a lot more difficult because what I thought we were talking about was, can I have more friends who enrich my life? And you said, yes, you can, but now you're talking about me and what I value and what I love and my habits and my lifestyle. And you're saying that you can't get there from here. Well, I couldn't. When I was in junior high and high school, I could not get more friends from where I was with the character I had. Couldn't be done. So I had to change. I had to decide, what do I really value? And is, is it possible that if I valued different things and really strove for a different kind of heart... And if I put different kinds of habits into the way I interacted with people, maybe I could have friends in spite of being the classic nerd. Maybe that could happen. And it did. But we have to move on. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how a friendship is constructed. If the materials are character and habits, then how do you construct a friendship with those materials, starting with those materials? Um, I'm going to have three observations for you on this. I'm going to start in verse 10. And we're going to pull out those words, drive out. This is strong language. This is saying, if you want to construct godly friendships, there's stuff you have to drive out of your habits, your lifestyle, and perhaps even your heart aspirations. This says, drive out a scoffer. What is a scoffer? Let's refresh our memory from that because Proverbs talks a lot about the scoffer. The scoffer is the person who is above it all. All of it. I am above everything. I'm the judge of everything. 
And the scoffer's goal in life is to make sure that everything and everybody knows that they are above it all. So the scoffer is sarcastic, mocks, argues, contentious, always picking fights, always uh, needling people, always pursuing, pushing boundaries, always just constantly saying, I'm in charge here. Everybody needs to march to my drumbeat. And the scoffer says, I'm the tallest person in the room. I'm the biggest thing here. My character should dominate everything here. And the, the Proverbs basically say, um, if you're a scoffer, there's very little hope for you till that changes. The scoffer who must dominate and call the tune all the time, the scoffer's going down in this world. Now, it doesn't look that way, because if you look all around, there are just scoffers all over the place. They seem to be doing just fine. They seem to be growing in influence and, and wealth and all of these things, but Proverbs tells a different story. There's a point at which God pushes that scoffer over because he or she is actually not the biggest thing in the room. And there comes a moment when God pushes that person over and says, actually, it's time you realized who and what is larger than you. And it's me. And so this says, drive out the scoffer and strife will cease. If I was meddling before, I'm really going to start meddling now. <laughs> Basically, if you look at the posture, let's start kind of big picture here. The posture of evangelical Christians toward the rest of our fellow citizens. If you look at that posture... It's a posture of scoffing. We know the answer. We wish you were smart enough to ask the right questions. We wish that you would ask us the questions so that we could give you the answers that we have. And since you're not asking us, and since when we do give you the answer that we have, you don't listen, we're going to make fun of you. We're going to put memes on Facebook. And we're going to use insult humor to make our points. We're going to put it on our bumper stickers. We're going to put it on our t-shirts. And we're going to put it in your face that we know the answer and you don't. I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but not much. So if we look at Christian conduct on something like Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media uh, you, you want to go to, there is an awful lot of scoffing. If you look at relationships formed by Christians amongst themselves, if you look at relationships that we tend to form with other people outside the church, it tends to be founded on scoffing. Look at those people over there how awful they are. And, and so we just mock, scoff, criticize. What kind of 
bond is that? It's toxic. So is it any wonder that we find ourselves in this smaller and smaller cadre of scoffers, wondering why won't the world join us because we have the answer and we wish they could see it? And why would they if we're bonded by scoffing? And I, I bring this up because I think we have a tremendous opportunity as a body to drive that out. Someone asked on Monday night when we were discussing this in men's group, what if the scoffer is me? Well, uh, my answer to that question was, if the scoffer is you, you have to drive the scoffer out. I did. I had to reach a place in high school where I, was, I had to make a decision. Am I going to hang on to the superiority that I think I've got? Or am I going to ditch it? And am I going to stop using my comments to cut people down and make funny, sarcastic remarks that just somehow never seem to be funny to the other people? Am I going to stop this and am I going to pursue a different course? Or am I going to hang on to that and try to build the, the scoffer fan club around all of the stuff that I'm criticizing, that I hate, and the things that I think are superior. I had to make that decision by the grace of God. A youth leader sat me down and said, I know you feel alienated. I know you feel lonely because I had expressed this to him. And he said, you want to know why? And he laid it out. He just said, you don't talk to anyone in the youth group, you're not a part of activities, you, you don't listen to them, you don't, you don't seem to care at all about what they're doing, what they're a part of. You're, you're just kind of, you come for the meeting, make a few comments, and then you leave. I'm so glad a man of God sat me down and told me what was true about myself. Because once I saw that, the decision was easy. I don't want to be that way. That's actually not who I want to be. So then that gave me the opportunity to start making a different decision about how I should conduct myself. Uh, go back to chapter 16 of Proverbs. Let's look at a couple of other comments just to put some more um, flesh and bone on these ideas. Proverbs 16, 27. Strong language. Brace yourself. A worthless man plots evil. And his speech is like a scorching fire. Oh. So, there is such a thing in Proverbs, as a worthless man. Strong words. But what, what is this man? Is it the man who um, can't make money, can't hold a job, 
Is it a man who um, has a poor self-image? No. This may be a very capable man. This may be a genius businessman. This man may be a genius scholar. This woman could be a genius manager. But she plots evil, and her speech is like a scorching fire. To enter conversation with this person is to get burned up. Worthless. No good. There's no value in it. Why? Because it destroys the value of other people around. So there's no value there. Verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife. So what we need to do with a proverb like this is just, just let it be what it is. Someone who is lying and covering up the things that they are doing shading the truth, covering up here, uh, all, all of this kind of dishonesty, that person is spreading strife because they can't be trusted. Nothing they say can really be believed. Or if it can be believed on its face, the motivations for saying it can't be trusted. And so strife follows this person wherever they go. So, question. Uh, well, I, I need to finish this, this proverb before I ask this question. A whisperer separates close friends. So this is the person who is constantly a font of information about other people. And they're constantly telling you what's going on with this person and what's going on with that person. The whisperer separates close friends. These are character issues, plotting evil, abusive speech, dishonesty, gossiping, and slandering. These are character issues that express themselves in habits. Basically, if we go back to Proverbs 22.10, drive out the scoffer and strife will go out, quarreling and abuse will cease. It's one-to-one, -one. it's very easy to see why. Because if we keep doing this, then the people we draw to us will either be scoffers like us, dishonest like us, scorching like us, or they will be toadies who just like whatever we dish out and are so needy and dependent upon other people that the more you abuse them, the more they come back. This is a kind of a nightmare scenario for relationships, but it's possible that I'm describing life. It's possible I'm describing family. And so this is why Solomon, when, he, when he's talking about friendship and building friendships, he goes back to the issue of character. Drive the scoffer out. Some of you may need, I'm going to word this very carefully, all of us need to work on the scoffer within. Some of you may need to develop the backbone, the godly backbone to say, 
I am giving too much credit and excusing behavior that is flat out wrong and I need to stop. I need to draw a line and I need to say either your behavior changes or I've got to find somewhere else to be and someone else to be with. These are hard decisions. I know we're not supposed to judge. That's another subject. But there comes a time, and Proverbs delivers to us the mandate, look, you are responsible for what is in your life. You need to make decisions about that. That calls for a lot of wisdom, calls for a lot of grace, patience, and endurance. If you need to talk about that, let's talk about that. Because the issue of drawing boundaries in your life about what you will sign on for and what character you will excuse and put up with, that issue is central to your ability to have healthy and and strong relationships. So I'm going to leave that there. Let's go on to the the second mode of construction with our character and our habits. One is drive out what is bad. The other is pour out what is good. Verse 10, again, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will cease. Job's not done there. The question is, what are you going to put in positively into your life after you make some boundary decisions and say, I'm not signing on for abuse anymore. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to participate in it. I'm going to figure out how to leave that behind. I'm going to seek godly counsel to do that. All of that is very important. But then we've got to say, what am I going to put in its place? Positively, what goes in its place? That's verse 11. He who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend. Uh, So, purity of heart. What are the impurities that we want to unmix? Look at verse 29 back in chapter 16. This all has to do with our motivations for dealing with people. Purity of heart is all about that. Verse 29, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. So this is talking about the person who is always working it, always playing a game to bring you a little bit further along with his or her plans. And that kind of enticement saying, you know, holding out approval or friendship or reward or whatever it may be, saying, Come along with me. That person, can we say that that person, or if I am that person, that I love purity of heart? No, purity of heart says, in a sense, what you see is what you get. What I say to you is coming from unmixed motives as much as I can, 
can do by the grace of God. We're going to talk about this more in a moment. But I'm talking to you out of sincerity. I'm not talking to you out of, un, out, of, out of mixed motives and agenda. I'm not trying to be manipulative. We all want those people in our lives who we can trust and depend on to talk straight to us. This is saying a man of violence is manipulative, enticing, tempting, and he's got a plan for your life, and it ain't a wonderful plan. So there's that kind of impurity. Uh, verse 30 of chapter 16, same kind of idea. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Lots of comments in Proverbs about body language and about the way we communicate without speaking. How we say stuff with our eyes and our lips and our hands and the stuff we say with our bodies is often more important than the stuff we're saying with our mouths. And what he's saying here is there's an impurity here if you're, if you're communicating one thing with your mouth, but your actual intentions and your body and your, your, your um, stance toward another person is actually enticing them into something quite different. That's a lie, right? Nice words, evil intent. And so Proverbs is saying this is a look at impurity. Back to chapter 22... He who loves purity of heart. Love the king as his friend. What does it mean to love purity of heart? It means at least, I'm going to straighten out my words. I'm going to make my actions, my motivations align with my words. I'm going to talk straight to people. I'm going to learn sincerity. I'm going to unmix my messages. Even if it means going through a period of kind of painful stumbling around because I'm afraid people will reject me if I talk straight. A lot of us are in this position. A lot of the reason we kind of wink at each other and nudge, nudge uh, when we're talking, part of the reason we can never just come out and say what we think is because we're afraid that we're going to start a fight or be rejected or be judged, whatever it may be. Step by step, we just unmix what we say and we just come out with sincere, straightforward statements of what we really think. And that can be built. And I would say a job one for us here as a church is to be that place where we resolve in our own hearts we are going to be the safe people where you can say stuff to us as you experiment with sincerity and as you learn revealing what's in your head and what's on your heart, as you, as you work with this, we need to resolve to be the safe people who will receive that and not judge and not take offense and not betray secrets. These kinds of things are keys to building friendships. Well, we're worlds away from just liking to play the same game. 
or liking the same TV show. This is, pastor, this is work. Friendship's supposed to be fun. Well, it will be. It will be. It'll be a lot more fun than the shallow relationships that pass for friendships today. It'll be loads of fun. It'll be the kind of fun that leaves you richer when it's over than you were when it started. That's the kind of fun I'm after. But you got to put in the work first. And this is character work. It's decision-making work. And that is what uh, Proverbs is talking about. Um, In my case, the way this worked out for me was I started to figure out that because of who I am, my personality, the things I'm interested in, if I criticize someone or make fun of someone, it has 10 times or 100 times the impact of someone else doing it. Just because of who I am, that's the way it is. And I realized that without intending to do it, I was crushing people. So I realized that the reverse might also be true because of who I am, because of the way my personality is. If I say something encouraging to someone, it might have the effect of building them up 10 or 100 times more than anyone else. So I thought, well, let's try it. And it works. Because I did some work with the Lord of driving out the scoffer, that arrogance that says, I'm on top. Since I didn't have to prove that anymore, that was a big relief. Then I could just help people, encourage people, boost them up instead of boosting myself up. That, that really changed the way I talk. So something funny started to happen here, and it's along the lines of verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious. You know what happened? Because I started to love this other character that I could be in Christ, my speech began to change and I began to pour out grace. I'm still learning how to do this. I think we all are. We're always going to be in school on this. And so... Every single friendship that I have now, I would say, is a direct result of in high school making the decision, I'm going to drive out the scoffer, I am going to see my heart unmixed from all of this game playing, and I am going to encourage people. That decision turned my life in a different direction. And I would say I have friends today that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, My friendship with all of you is a direct result of a decision made in high school by the grace of God. You can do that. You can have an abundance of friends. You can have an abundance of friends even if no one dresses like you, talks like you, plays the violin like you, likes your music, likes your books, likes the subject. You can have 
deep friends. And it'll enrich you. But we've got to start with the right priorities, the right materials, drive the scoffer out, love purity of heart, build those habits. Final observation from verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. It's tempting to say, to treat that like a throwaway line on this subject. You could be friends with anybody if you do these things. That's actually not what it's saying. Solomon is saying, you can have the goodwill, loyalty, the bond of people in responsibility if you live this way. You can have their friendship. So, I need to take this seriously, the way Solomon and the Spirit of God intended it. And so what I would bring to you is this. In addition to driving out uh, um, the scoffer and pouring out uh, uh, grace to other people, I'm pushing this button here and nothing's happening. I, I wonder if you could maybe manually advance that, Scott. Thank you. Um, the, uh, in addition to doing those things, move up your sights. Think differently about who your friends should be. I'm not saying become a snob here. I'm saying decide within yourself, I am going to pursue responsibilities for others and I am going to seek the friendship of people who have taken on responsibility for others. It's a different kind of friendship. It's a different kind of thing. The reason why you will have the king as your friend if you love purity of heart and your speech is gracious is because the king needs you or he can't do his job. The king's number one problem is he doesn't know who to trust. The king's number one problem is, I don't know who's telling me the truth. This guy's saying this over here. That person is saying another thing. This group over here is saying something completely different. I need people who will tell me the truth. And anyone who does, who demonstrates that and has the ability to speak graciously, that person is going to be the king's friend because he needs that friend. So your boss, your manager, she needs you to be this way. She is looking, no matter how bad you think she is, no matter how inept you may think she is, she needs you to be the person who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious. And if you make this decision, I am going to be the friend for those who bear responsibilities. If you make that decision, you move up your sights on what a friend is, it will change your life. Because you will, it's a big step actually in driving out the scoffer. Instead of undercutting the people above you, trying to think what you can get away with, Instead of criticizing the people above you, 
mocking them, smiling to their face and then going away and talking smack about them outside of that situation. Instead of doing all of those things, you become the loyal person who is faithful to them, the person they need. It will change your life. So how do you begin building a friendship? This is part one of this. Drive out the scoffer, pour out grace, and move up your aspirations. Seek to be the friend of those who have responsibilities and seek those responsibilities yourself. It changes you and it, it turns you into a steward rather than a taker. And so uh, these are some of the things we see. Let's move on to the gospel. Thank you. Let me see if this works now. Yay, it does. Thank you, Scott. Um, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 9. You know who the source of all the wisdom in Proverbs is? It's Jesus. Jesus, we saw a number of weeks ago, was in Proverbs chapter 8. He's the one giving that invitation. Follow me. Listen to me. I'll teach you wisdom. And Jesus will teach us how to have friends. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. How is your heart purified? How do you unmix it so that your motivations are straight? Jesus and the gospel need to be in that process. It looks like this. Mark 9, 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. The Apostle John. John is saying to Jesus, We're on Team Awesome. We're it. He's not on Team Awesome. Therefore, because he is not on Team Awesome, we need him to stop doing his pathetic thing. It's just logic, Jesus. This is a scoffer. Right at the heart of the disciples. Imagine that. So John says, Teacher, he's not on our team. So we told him to stop. Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you, John, a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You're going to be looking for a little compassion, mercy, and understanding in your life, John, because it's going to be a hard one. You're going to need friends. Better start making them now. Drive out the scoffer, John. What is Jesus doing here? He's driving out the scoffer from his disciples, but he's keeping the man. 
And he's going to turn the man into something else. That's what he's doing with us. That's what he did with me. And he's still doing it, I hope. He drives out what is in us that is impure, thoughtless, mixed, selfish, domineering. He drives that out, but he keeps us. And he puts into us something else, and that's grace. How do you learn grace? How do you learn how to speak graciously? Is it by flattering the people around you? Uh, how, does, how does that really work? Well... Let me show you another picture of John at the end of his life. Go to 1 John, I believe it's chapter 4. 1 John 4, 7. This is the same guy. Now he's old and set in his ways. Well, what ways are those that he is set in? This old man, the same guy who said, he's not on Team Awesome, so we told him to get out of town. That guy wrote this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Briefly, He paid for our sins. Paid them off. How do you learn grace? It needs to be from Christ. How do you learn purity of heart? It needs to be from Christ. It needs to be where He is dealing with you, unmixing the motivations of your heart, exposing what is there, pushing it out and keeping you. And then filling you with forgiveness, acceptance, love. So that what you start pouring out is not the scorching fire of abuse, but the balm of grace, comfort, peace, clarity, joy, all of those things. Jesus does this, and that is who we need to do business with this morning. So you can really compress all of this into a very short statement. Do you want friends? First friend you need is Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you paid for our sins. You are driving out what is evil in us. And you are preserving us and even raising us up to become something new. We praise you for that. 
we want to be people who honor you deeply, and so we ask you to purify our hearts, give us a new understanding of your grace, give us a, a deeper share in your work, and if there's someone here who does not know you, and they are saying, my heart's impure, I need it purified. I need to know grace. And if you are that person, I would just encourage you right now to pray with me something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you to purify my heart from sin. I know that you died for me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me your Holy Spirit and to lead me. I ask you to show me how to become gracious and take control of my life from this point forward. Lord, we together intercede for the person who prays that way this morning. We ask you, pour out your spirit upon that person, show your goodness to that person, and we will give you all the glory. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you have a question, you can text that to me. Here is one. What is the most likely outcome of a society that views as uncool things uh, such as school, learning, books, mental skills, standing for an unpopular view, etc.? what happens to a society where those things are not, not cool? Um, I'm a little conflicted in my answer to that question. Because um, as much as I love learning and all of those things, I, I really do think that people are different and that, they, that if they're not interested in these particular things that um, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong or sinful or shallow. Um, so I wouldn't hold up as, as the most important thing, school or learning, books, any of these things. I wouldn't hold them up because I'm frankly suspicious of them. Um, I don't think these things offer very much. What I will say is a society that insists on viewing anything as uncool turns up its nose at it and shames people for being uncool, not having the right appearance or the right focus, whatever it may be. A society like that is in trouble. Not because it doesn't value the things I value, but because it is a society of scoffing. So I I guess that would be sort of a conflicted answer to that question. Um, I'm going to check out something that may be a related question here by email. Uh, I remember in high school many years ago they told us you 
you better make friends with the nerds because someday you're going to work for them. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just going to leave that right there. Okay. <laughs> um, the truth of Nathan confronting his friend David, courageous love and truth given. Great example there uh, of David confronting, uh, um, Nathan confronting David with his sins uh, and being uh, a courageous friend there. Having character defects can prevent you from building relationships com coming to church. What do you recommend for someone who has fear of building new relationships? Um, great question. That fear can, in my view, can only be addressed one way. Step by step, a little bit every day, finding safe people to trust and trusting them. And so um, back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, we need to be that place. I believe we are that place. I think we need to be more conscious and more committed to being that safe place. So that uh, when so that we recognize this person is trusting me right now. And so I need to guard that. I need to be careful with that. I need to be considerate, respectful, not judgmental of that. And as you do that step by step, the fear kind of goes away. It won't go away all at once. And the first steps may be very fearful indeed. But if you take those steps... It's going to revolutionize your life and it's going to, to gain you friends because ultimately you're trusting God with that.